Today on Locked on Canadians, we get some perspective from the other side and we try to learn what the Habs can do to beat the Flyers. Welcome to episode 197. My name is Laura Saba, also known as the Active Stick, and I'm joined as always by the incomparable Scott Matla. Scott, how are you doing today? I don't think I've ever been called incomparable unless like some sort of insult followed up after that, but I am doing quite well today. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing really well and very excited. We kind of have a treat. We have an esteemed guest. She is the NHL manager for SB Nation, and she's technically Scott's boss. Hey, Steph, <laughs> Steph Driver, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I don't think I've ever been called esteemed before either. This, this is the most I complimentary podcast ever. That's I what we're going with today. <laughs> and let me turn that right around and start talking about Alain Vigneault, <laughs> because he <laughs> is on our list. Steph, I want to ask you, before we get into the nitty-gritty of what the Canadians can do to beat the Flyers, how do you feel as a Flyers fan, three games in, what do you think is going to happen with this series? Oh, God, I feel awful. Laura, I feel awful. <laughs> the Flyers are up 2-1. I, I, I just, I can't explain just how terrible it feels to be leading in this series because the Flyers look so bad, especially compared to how they were playing during the round robin, where it looks like looked like they just hadn't lost a step from the regular season where they were just dominating since January. And then they hit the Canadians and everything comes to a screeching halt, except for Carter Hart, who is the prince who was promised. So I guess the first question I would have then is do you think it's a question of they underestimated the Canadians or did not expect this from them? I don't think so, but I, you know, the Flyers have, and this is, this is such a trope, but the Flyers do have a habit of playing down to their competition, which is not to say that the Canadians have not looked great, and they have. Like, I don't want to take that away from them with, you know, Nick Suzuki, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, I, I've been blown away. And of course, Carey Price has just been stellar in net and, and Shea Weber just won't stop. I, that's, that's the best I can say. I think it's <laughs> I can pay Shea Weber. They, the Canadians have looked great. I don't, I can't diagnose what's wrong with the Flyers right now other than they just make me very, very uncomfortable. And they just can't, they can't seem to find their game no matter how many adjustments are made in game, no matter what line shuffle Elaine Vigneault puts out there. It, it's been very sloppy and the Flyers don't really make the mistakes that they have been. So I, I feel terrible. I think our listeners would probably be happy hearing that just because I think Canadians fans as a whole We've been very excited with what's going on, especially since we didn't expect it. But we're also trying to convince ourselves that what we're seeing is real. It's actually happening. Like the Canadians are playing well against a top seed team. And again, not to take away from the Flyers overall, I don't think that they've been great this series, but also on like one of the rare occasions that I talk offline with somebody about hockey, uh, we were having a conversation and early on, 
the conversation was something along the lines of, and this was, you know, way back when they announced the whole phases and everything we knew. We've known for a while that the Canadians were going to have to get through Pittsburgh if they wanted to make the playoffs. And most people expected them not to. And the question was, it was like, if the Canadians are able to beat Pittsburgh, like whatever team they face next, probably never in a million years, even back in March, was scouting the Canadians with the view to having to play them in the playoffs. Like, this is really something that's unexpected. But I also think that there are certain things that we've come to expect from this new era of buyers that has not been happening. Like, Sean Couturier has not been all over the ice just murdering people with his talent. That's something that I truly expected to see from game one. And I feel like the Canadians have really, really game planned for that. And they've done it fairly effectively. I think every time he's on the ice, he's either wearing Ben Sherratt or Shea Weber or both on his arms. Yeah. How much of a factor is Sean Couturier in driving the offense? Because I know he's a shutdown guy. I know he's a two-way player. He's really great defensively. How much of a factor is he in creating offense? He's a huge factor. He, we call him, you know, jokingly, we call him Dr. Couturier because he makes everyone that he plays with better. So when he is clicking, everyone on the ice is clicking. And he's just not right now. And, and that's not to say that he's playing poorly because he's, he's not. I, I, Sean Couturier can't play poorly. It's just not <laughs> in DNA. But he's not at his, his top form. And that can be said for the entire top line, which was, was Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, and Joel Farabee. And then Joel Farabee sat out in game three and they put Jake Voracek on that line. Now, Jake Voracek did score a goal, which was great. Great to see something happen from the top line. But what the Flyers have been leaning on for, you know, a little while, not for the entire stretch of it's so weird to say the past couple of months because there was no hockey the last couple of months um but you know like march february they were relying really heavily on their depth so that the top guys didn't have to carry the team because they had kevin hayes who you know second line but still it's not Claude Giroux being counted on to score all of the goals they had travis konechny and then you go down to the third line Michael Roffel has had a good season. Scott Lawton has really raised himself from the dead the past couple of seasons. We had him written off probably three years ago as just a first round bust. That's it. And, and he's just popped right out of the woodwork. Tyler Pitlick, who I couldn't understand why they signed him in the first place, has just really cemented himself in a fourth line role that works. And he's been scoring. So the Flyers have, have done really well with their secondary scoring, but you still need your top guys to score. They can't just play a shutdown role. They can't just play a defensive role. And we're not seeing that from them right now. We're not seeing the gears that we know they have that they should be able to hit in the playoffs of all times. Like, this is, this is where you should be at your peak. They're just not there right now. Speaking of gears, let's talk car parts. Steph, I don't know if you knew this. I might be about to blow your mind. But Please did talk. you know that if you go to a chain store to try to buy car parts or even car accessories, they could charge you up to twice as much because you're just a regular person and not a professional mechanic? I didn't know that. So here's what you can do if you want to pay the same price no matter who you are. You go to rockauto.com, 
where the prices are always reliably low and you can find anything, any model you've got, whether it's like a classic or your new car, anything. And you don't just like, you don't just find car parts. You'll find anything, motor oil, carpets, accessories, you know, a gas cap. I keep saying that because it blows my mind that you can find a gas cap for $4 on rockauto.com. And the best part about it is that it's so easy to use online. They've got a great catalog online and you can search for anything you want and it gets delivered directly to your door. Yep, it's easy enough that literally while we are recording this, if I wanted to, I can bring this up, order a gas cap or floor mats or engine parts or tail lights or anything that I could possibly need for my car. I can look it up by make, model, choose by whoever is producing that and pay far less than I would going into any kind of auto parts chain store these days. And the prices are always reliably low. And if you want to take advantage of that, you're going to go to rockauto.com, find what you need, buy it, and you're going to tell them Locked On sent you in their How Did You Hear About Us box. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Steph Driver of SB Nation has joined us and is telling us all about the Flyers. And we're about to ask her how the Canadians can finally get around Alain Vigneault's system and actually beat them. But first, I wanted to mention, because we were talking about Sean Couturier at the top of the episode, and given that we're huge fans of Philippe Dano and we think that he is a phenomenal two-way center, and we think that he's, he's not necessarily, he shouldn't be like getting the selkie over Sean Couturier, particularly not in, in, in these couple of years. But we think that he deserves a little bit more love based on what he's able to do. And so I wanted to ask you, from your perspective, watching For My Money, the greatest two-way player on the NHL right now, like, how do you feel about Philippe Deneau? Have you noticed him at all? I definitely have. And I think that he's absolutely underrated. I actually, I picked him up in, my, in one of my fantasy hockey leagues probably like two, three years ago by accident. I was just like, oh, these are good numbers. Like, let me just pick up this guy. He's been my sleeper pick every year since. Like, I have had him on every single one of my rosters in fantasy hockey since then because he's, he's just so good and nobody knows who he is which is really a crime and maybe I shouldn't be saying that on a on a Canadian's podcast but we don't know who he is here uh but after this series everyone is going to remember his name because he's been a big part in shutting down this offense which like I just said they were flying on every every line was was shooting and every line was scoring and they are not doing that now and I think Deneau is a big part of that. He's been one of Laura and I's favorite players in that we had an entire episode where we said you need to vote for him you cowards because he doesn't do anything crazy fancy he's not like Sidney Crosby and he doesn't have the reputation like Patrice Bergeron or anyone like that He's just quietly effective. And then last year, he put up, I believe, it was like a 55-point season on a bad Canadians team. And everyone kind of went, where the hell did this come from? And we talked in an episode we did for BSH about how good the Tatar trade was for Mark Bergevin. We look at this trade where Mark Bergevin traded Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischman and got a number one center and a top defensive prospect out of it. And Philip Deneau has been one of those players that since coming to Montreal, it was either a change of scenery or whatever it was. He's kind of blossomed into that center that people have been looking for. 
since Thomas Placanitz, you know, kind of declined and then eventually retired a couple of years ago. I can't believe you just said the name Dale Weiss at me. I mean, <laughs> Laura and I have tried to cancel Dale Weiss for like three weeks now and it hasn't, it finally happened and they won a hockey game. So like <laughs> something good finally happened. <laughs> believe you just said tail beast at me i thought this was not a cursing podcast <laughs> oh believe me if i could i have a lot of thoughts about tail Weiss in the first like eight games of the playoffs this year thankfully kirk muller appears to be smarter than that so <laughs> yeah no um Dino definitely made me look really smart last year in my in my fantasy hockey league because i had picked him up probably in the last round, close to close to the last round. And he had been on my team for the past couple of years and he just exploded last year. He's definitely one of our faves. And I think, you know, you said I probably shouldn't say this on a Canadian's podcast, but we don't know who he is. And that's the thing. We're glad that you know who he is because yeah. no matter, like we're trying to spread the good word, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like a sense of pride every time I hear his name on the broadcast. I'm like, I know that guy. I liked him before it was cool. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess we want to turn our attention to what the Canadians can do right now, because it's been very frustrating watching the Canadians play, not at the absolute apex of their game. They're playing really well, though. They're playing as well as you could possibly expect and even beyond what we realistically expected. But for some reason, they still can't win games or, you know, they still couldn't win game one or game three. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what is it that the, do they, do the Flyers have a weakness that the Canadians can exploit? Yes and no. The, the no part I'll go with first. So in, I think they would have to solve Carter Hart and that's just not going to happen. And I am really sorry to say that. Um, <laughs> He's just, he is just playing so out of his mind right now that yes, game two, he got pulled, but that was, you know, that was the send a message to the bench. And it was just, it was a bad game by everybody, but he is playing out of his mind right now and and they would have to solve him. So on the other hand, there are a a handful of really young flyers, a few of them are are getting their first real taste of the playoffs. Our our third pair defensive team, our our third pairing on defense is just a little bit of a revolving door and and they're not great. You know, Shane Gossespierre has had a weird season. Justin Braun has not looked good for really these last three games. Robert Haig, the first two goals the Canadians scored were right off Robert Haig. Like those are the three players that rotate for the third pair, but they're not getting a lot of ice time. The other two pairings are really solid. Keep shutting down the top guys, but they will explode eventually. They will start scoring eventually. I'm actually surprised that it didn't happen in game three after Jake Voracek scored. I thought that that might be, okay, the the gates are opening, the monkey's off the back, but that just didn't happen. Uh, The Flyers are going to keep coming at you, which is not something that we've seen a lot of in the past few years, but they're going to keep playing the full 60 minutes. They start slow and they've always started slow. So if the Canadians are able to get one 
two on the board in the first period. That could, especially with the goalie duel that we're seeing, that could shut down the Flyers for the rest of the game. But at the end of the day, they've got to solve Carter Hart, and I just don't know whether that's going to happen. I suppose my question, because we've talked about the third pairing, and we're talking about how a lot of the big guns for the Flyers have been quiet. Does that include like Travis Sanheim and Ivan Provorov? And then like Shane Gostisbehere was a scratch for game three. And even though they won, it seems like a series that has two teams that can play with speed and offensive talent, putting him in the press box or wherever they are in the bubble nowadays feels kind of weird for the Flyers, even if game two wasn't really his fault for how things happened. I remember Justin Braun is the one who kind of got victimized a bit in game two. Yeah. Shane Goss' Bears had a really weird season. He was playing very poorly before the break. He got a lot of healthy scratches. Um, And then during the break, he had uh, some knee surgery where they just cleared out some cartilage. And he came back and he looked like the ghost of old. We talked on the, the Broad Street Hockey checking out the competition about Uh, Carey Price and Shea Weber's demise being greatly exaggerated. That's how I feel about Shane Goss's bear, where his demise has just been greatly exaggerated. But for some reason, Elaine Vigneault just doesn't really trust him and does trust Robert Haig, which seems a little foolhardy. Uh, Robert Haig is not great. A lot of people think that he's a lot worse than he is. He's not Andrew McDonald bad, but he's not great. But Justin Braun right now is the problem on that third pairing, and he is not sitting out. Uh, Ivan Provorov just continues to eat minutes. He is so solid and so steady, and he looks like... Have you seen his hair and his beard? Just hockey man. I said he's got a killer uh, costume if he wants to go as Jesus for Halloween this year. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Perfect. And Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers are young, young guys. This is Phil Myers' first playoff series. Travis Sanheim, I think, played four playoff games two years ago. They're young guys really getting their first taste of playoff competition. Those four games that Travis Sanheim played against Washington just don't count because they were awful. So they, you know, they're, they're doing what they should be. Phil Myers is all over the ice and he's not making really blatant mistakes. Matt Niskanen has been making some mistakes, but I've got no concerns about him because he is really a bright spot in the season where I was not expecting to find one on defense from a free agent signing. Uh, He's been really steady and I thought that he may have lost a step. He has not. I've been really impressed. So I think that he's going to figure it out, but it's really, the problem is really that third pairing. And and right now it's, it's Justin Braun. We'll have more with Steph in just one moment. So we were talking a little bit about defensive pairings and uh, what we've come or what you've come to expect from the Flyers and what we are now seeing play out. I have a question, though, about coaching because we, while we are kind of familiar with Elaine Vigneault, it was a long time ago, and we are very intimately familiar with, with Michelle Therrien, a little too uh, much for our taste. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about the coaching because what we've done in these last few games within the postseason is we've given a lot of credit to Chloe Julian. 
uh, and now Kirk Muller in, in terms of we have seen them try new things and get creative and experiment in a way that we were really frustrated during the regular season. We were like, they, they need to do something and they don't seem to care. They don't seem to be trying to change anything. And I feel like, you know, a shorter series with like elimination on the line, that kind of stuff really brings out the best in them. So we've really been impressed with the, uh, the coaching, particularly in the postseason. Just ignore everything we said in the regular season about the coaching. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one thing that I have noted over the course of the year is Flyers fans praising Elaine Vino and his decisions and ple- being pleasantly surprised. And I don't think he's a bad coach. I feel like he's got kind of like a ceiling. And if there's any team that I would like to see him break that ceiling with, it would be the Flyers because it was definitely not the Rangers or the Canucks, I got to tell you. But it's been interesting to watch, you know, Flyers fans say things that you weren't hearing from Canucks fans or Rangers fans. And it's also like, it's been really cool to watch the Flyers really live up to the potential that they could with so many skilled guys on the roster. And also like guys coming out of nowhere, right? Like the younger defensemen that we were talking about. But what I'm interested in knowing about is that in game two, Alain Vigneault didn't really seem to have an answer. Didn't really seem to have adjustments. And then in game three, he resorted to one of the oldest tricks in the book. And I think that the, you know, the Flyers were very effective in trying to take away the control from the Canadians in the neutral zone because, you know, that is one of the Canadians' strong suits. They don't have very many, but that's one of them. I just, I wanted to know, you know, like, has he been a creative coach over the over the season that you've been watching him? Because he really, it surprised me that he wasn't able to answer uh, more quickly and that he wasn't able to come up with a better answer than trying to trap the game in game three. Yeah, so he has been a, a, a definitely a creative coach. He's put together line combinations and plays that we never would have thought would work, and then they did. And then you have to remember what we're coming out from. We're coming out of the Dave Hackstall era, which was just the most boring and bland and ineffective hockey system that has ever existed outside of maybe New Jersey in the late 90s. (laughs) It was awful. So now we have a coach who is number one, personable, which is not something that we've been used to for a while. So just the fact that we like him is a big change. And he stands by his players. He doesn't throw them under the bus when they have a bad game, which again is something that we're not used to. And then he's, he's doing things on the ice that we've thought in our minds for years. This is something that needs to happen. This is something that would work. And then he, we see him put it together and it does. It's just been a complete 180 from what we've been used to. So the fact that the Flyers in this series just haven't been able to tap into their creativity, that they just haven't been able to do anything is absurd to me. I, I, I just, I can't even finish that sentence before I talk about the power play because you <laughs> and I would like <laughs> leave him in Toronto, <laughs> leave him in Toronto. He's responsible for our power play and it has been so anemic. This is not the Flyers' power play. I don't know what is going on up there, but they need to get it together because they're they're not gonna 
they're not going to go far. They might not even make it out of this series if that power play can't start to click. So something needs to change, whether it's on special teams or whether it's directly from AV behind the bench. There's only so many line scrambles that you can do before you have to take a look at your game style and your game plan, realize that it's not working. And I have a feeling that's what they were doing today because it's not working. I don't understand how a team with the talent that the Flyers have, and believe us, we know how bad the power play can be under Michel Therrien, but talent usually overcomes, quite frankly, crap systems across the board. What is it that just doesn't click? Is it a player isn't in the right spot? Is it... Carey Price is good as hell? Is it something else? Like, what am I missing that something isn't working here? Because they have all the talent, all the right players are out there, it seems, but then they do nothing for two minutes. Well, Carey Price is good as hell. I don't ever want to take that away from him. Claude Drew's playing on the wrong side. This has been something that has been happening throughout the season, and then when the, the power play just completely bottomed out, they put him back where he belongs on the right side. And everything was fine. It was great. And now he's back on the left. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, you know, that's the thing. Because, you know, we're very familiar with the frustrations with Michelle Terrian. And in fact, you know, I'm very familiar with the sentiment of, can't they just leave him in Toronto? <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's actually, like, it's been surprising to me after, you know, talking to so many Flyers fans over the last couple of weeks in preparation for the series, is that, like, how does Michelle Terrigan keep, keep getting these kinds of responsibilities when you see what's happening on the ice? And, and it's honestly like it blows my mind like that's something that I, I know you don't have the answer for that stuff. I'm just I just wanted to put it out there it's like why does Michelle Terrian keep getting these responsibilities that he is not good at yeah I I don't have the answer <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the answer I think it comes down to the 200 good hockey men because yikes it would be like I could run the power play I could do it all I would say is Claude Giroux get on the right side as simple of a fix as anything, and they're just not doing it. We'll see. We'll see game four. Maybe they'll make that adjustment again. I can't even begin to fathom why the change was made. He's never played that side. It's it's baffling. Ah, uh, the Michel Therrien experience. <laughs> it's baffling. <laughs> Trust us, we know. We went through it twice now, and yeah. the answer has been the same every time is, what the hell? Yeah, why? why? That's it, why? <laughs> why? Um, in the 2.0 uh, signing or hiring or whatever, when that was announced, I remember this very well because I said this to so many people and we all knew what was coming, or most of us knew what was coming. And I was like, Michelle Terrian failed with the literal Stanley Cup winning roster. Like they took him out yeah. and threw in some guy who wasn't even that good, it turned out years later. And they won the Stanley Cup immediately. Like, how much more of an indictment do you need of a coach? Like, just Anyway, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Kevin Hayes, because as we talked about on uh, BSH Radio, but not here, what we were expecting was the Canadians' power play over the course of this season and the last, uh, particularly this season, has been really stagnant. It hasn't been very creative. It's been very predictable. We've been very frustrated with it. And I will give them credit in that they have been making changes in the postseason. I feel like they're kind of tentatively doing it because you'll see them do it in training camp or practice or whatever. 
And then the game comes around and it's like Shea Weber's back on the point. And when you move him out of that spot, he scores a goal against the Flyers. That's exactly what immediately happens. And so it's kind of like a mirror of what you guys are going through. But what I did expect a lot of was the Flyers were going to be able to capitalize on that situation and Kevin Hayes was going to get a whole bunch of shorthanded goals. And so I wanted to focus a little bit on Kevin Hayes because I'm like, I haven't really experienced him, but he comes like highly praised by any Flyers fan that I talked to. And I will say like in game three, like the, the addition or the, you know, the insertion of Michael Raffle, like really changed the game a little bit. Like I thought that he had a really stellar game. I don't know if it's the same from your perspective, but how do you think Kevin Hayes has been doing? Because I've been waiting for him to make noise and I haven't really seen that. Yeah, and that's pretty much the same story with all of our top guys. We love Kevin Hayes in Philadelphia and I cannot tell you how unexpected that is for so many reasons. Number one, he comes from Boston. We <laughs> comes from Boston and he played for the Rangers. Like we just just gross, just gross. But we love him. Like we as a collective city would die for Kevin Hayes. Whereas, you know, last summer there were stories about he didn't want to play here. And and most of the city had turned on him before he had stepped on the ice at all. And then he is just first and foremost, the, the second, the, the second line center that we've been craving for seven years, it just like a, a, an absurd amount of time. And he's an amazing locker room guy. Like, I don't think that without Kevin Hayes, we would have such a tight knit group of guys, which is so strange to hear and to say because they've all been together for, for the greater part of this decade. You know, Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, Jake Voracek. They've been together forever. And Kevin Hayes comes in and, and he's just the injection of energy and talent that this team has just been missing for so long. As soon as, as, soon as these top guys start scoring, connect me. Vor- well, Voracek just scored, but C- Couturier, Hayes, Giroux, as soon as they start scoring, it's, it's going to be a completely different series. Now, they're playing Kevin Hayes on a line with Travis Konechny and Scott Lawton. Scott Lawton playing on the second line at wing is a completely different look for him. He's been the third, fourth line center going back and forth for the past couple of years, but his speed matches Travis Konechny and Kevin Hayes, who has a, a surprisingly long stride and he, he can really get moving there. And the two of them have just been passing to Scott Lawton, who has broken out in this postseason whether it's the actual playoffs or the round robin, Scott Lawton has been really impressive. And I think a lot of that comes from playing with Kevin Hayes. Before we let you go, we would like to give you the floor for some Kat Kanyemi or Suzuki or both praise. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) we, We basically bully everybody into being like, admit they're awesome. (laughs) No, they are. They're definitely good. They're definitely good. So I have, like I said, I've got one friend that's a Canadians fan. And I asked him before this series started, other than Suzuki and Kakaniemi, who are Canadians that people like? (laughs) His response was, well, I guess you got some people that like Shea Weber and, you know, some people like Carrie Price, but really it's, it's, Nick Suzuki and Kakaniemi is is kind of new and no one really knows whether they like him or not. I've been 
so impressed, not only with their play, but it has really tickled me to hear Mike Milberry, who is terrible, stumble over saying Yesperi Kakaniemi. It, it <laughs> really tickled me to hear him trip over that. Oh my God. How hard is it to look up a pronunciation? Every single time he goes Kakaniemi. And I'm like, there's not, there is a T in there, Michael. Do you know how to read? <laughs> For the love of God, man. At least try to act like you're trying to enjoy your job. Holy crap, do you suck. He sounds just exceptionally miserable, like more than he usually does during this series. And fine, bud, but like learn how to read <laughs> games. Yeah. It actually detracts from watching the games, honest to God. I would rather watch the games with no sound than listen to Mike Milbury sound like he's at a funeral. Agreed. Agreed. It's, or listen yeah. to Mike Milbury at all. <laughs> Even a happy Mike Milbury <laughs> won't happy do it. I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> so Steph I want to thank you for joining us where can people find you and your work and all the stuff that you do uh, so on Twitter my handle is at Stephalicious D um, most of my work is going to be on Broad Street Hockey but I do manage all of the SB Nation NHL sites so make sure you check all of them out including Habs Eyes on the Prize and Habs on the Prize is where Scott Matler writes his musings and his insights and observations. You can hear him talk about them on this podcast. You can find us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You can find Scott at Scott Matla. You will find me at The Active Stick. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. And now tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NHL. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great. But having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2-0.